Well, good morning again. I think I, I think Karen and I have just about wrapped up all of our summer travel, and so we are back with you uh, for a, a good bit. And I get to be in the pulpit some more, which is fun for me, because uh, I have missed being in the pulpit uh, consistently with you. Uh, there's a few few fun things that I get to do. Uh, actually, a lot of fun things I get to do. I I can't believe you all pay me to do this job, as a matter of fact, but because uh, it is really fun. Uh, but I just want to draw your attention to a few things. Um, first of all, uh, if you are a man and uh, you are part of the group here, I want to draw your attention to this event, uh, the No Man Left Behind ministry training we're going to do here. It's a live simulcast put on by Man in the Mirror. Uh, we have uh, roughly 50 men. Uh, that are part of the uh, Chillicothe Bible Church family. And of those men, we have about a third in one of about five different groups that meet through the week. We have a, uh, a Tuesday morning group, a Wednesday morning group, a Thursday morning group, a Friday morning group, and now a Saturday morning group. But we don't have nearly enough groups, as a matter of fact, to, uh, to get all of our men, ideally we want to leave no man behind and we want to have all of our men be involved in a group of three to five men who are connecting weekly and studying together, praying together, walking with Jesus together um, in, a, in an accountable, disciple-making type relationship. So if you'd like to be one of the guys leading one of, um, we need another, at least at least another uh, eight or nine groups. Uh, if you'd like to be, uh, in order to get everybody, and if you'd like to be one of those leaders, we're going to train you for that. And it's an all-day training encourage you to participate in that. Uh, also, if you are new to Chillicothe Bible Church, and we have a number of people who are new in the last 12 months here, we have something really fun and exciting that we're going to do, um, Karen and I, beginning in the month of August, after church on Sundays for four Sundays in a row, you can come to my house. We will feed you a wonderful meal, and we will talk together about church and about what it means to be a member here and so forth. And there's a sign outside that door right there that says, Explorers, Finding Your Fit at, at, uh, at Chillicothe Bible Church. And we, uh, if you sign up on that list, tell us whether you need child care or not. Um, and if you do, we'll line that up for you. Um, but we will feed you. We'll spend two hours together uh, over four weeks uh, eating and talking and um, helping you get connected into the ministry here. And that's exciting because uh, this, this is a great place to be connected to the body of Christ. And in fact, we have somebody this morning that has officially joined the family uh, here, and so I want to bring up Margo Myers uh, to be with me up here. Margo, if you'd come. Uh, as part of our induction process uh, to be a member here, one of the things that you have to do is, uh, first of all, you need to be a believer in Jesus Christ. You need to have, at some point in your life, put your trust in Jesus Christ to be your Savior, and, um, and then you need to go ahead and step on up. Um, and, um, and you need to 
be in alignment with our, our doctrine and our covenant of fellowship, the way that we've committed to live uh, as believers in Christ here, and go through an interview with the elders, which is um, fairly low-key. We ask you to share your testimony and to uh, ask any questions that you have about the church and so forth, and we ask you some questions and encourage you to find a place where you're serving and so forth. Uh, and then, uh, upon the approval of that process, we bring people up front, and we ask them to commit themselves publicly to being part of the membership here in the church. So, um, Margo, I'm going to ask you some questions, and the, the answer to these, if you agree with what I ask you, is I do, okay? So... <laughs> Do you confess faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Yes, I do. And do you desire, above all else, to live for Him? Yes, I do. Do you declare your intention to live in submission to the doctrine of the church as expressed in this confession of faith and in obedience to its membership covenant? I do. Do you promise to support this congregation with your prayers? with your faithful attendance at its services, by the encouragement of its members, the willing use of your gifts and talents in its ministry, and the giving of your means as God prospers you. Yes, I do. All right. Well, then it's my privilege to welcome you officially to membership in Chillicothe Bible Church. I want to share a verse with you. Uh, this is from the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Let me pray for you. Father, we are grateful for our sister Margot. We're grateful that she has chosen to join with us as part of the the family here to become a member uh, of Chillicothe Bible Church and to offer her talents and gifts in service to your people and to the advancement of your kingdom in the world. And Father, we pray that, um, that she would enjoy all of the rich blessings that come from being connected to the body of Christ, uh, from knowing you better to growing deeper in her faith to being part of a family that encourages and walks alongside her and serves with her as we seek to make Jesus known in the world. And Father, we ask your blessing on Margot. We pray that you would place your hand on her by your Holy Spirit and fill her with your presence that she might be a blessing in the world. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And Margo, if you would stand with me at the end of the service, you know, I greet people at the back, and if you would join me in that, we'll all want to greet you uh, after this is over. So, well, with that in mind, I want to encourage all of you to turn, if you would, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, uh, verses 8 through 10. Now, these verses are familiar verses to many of you, and I bet that several of you have got them memorized. And if you don't have them memorized, you should memorize them because they're, they are key verses. In fact, they are probably uh, three of the most important verses in this book of Ephesians. 
Uh, in fact, in many ways, they are the outline for the whole book of Ephesians. If you want to know if, what Ephesians is about, it is about three chapters uh, uh, at the beginning of the book. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3 are about how God has saved you by grace through faith and that this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. And if you want to know what the last half of the book is about, it's about what is contained in verse 10, that you are the workmanship of God, that he has created you in Christ Jesus to do good works. And that is the relationship between faith and works is contained in these three verses, that you are saved by grace for good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do them. These verses are the encapsulation, if you will, of the apostles' preaching about salvation. They were, the, they were vital to the church's recovery of biblical faith during the Reformation, and they are vital for you and I today. Whether we have known the Lord for many years, whether we don't know Jesus yet, or if we're trying to introduce Jesus to someone who doesn't know him yet, uh, they are critical for us to understand. And so I want to spend a few minutes together looking at God's Word, and if you would please stand in honor of the Word of God as I read it to you. Uh, this is what God's Word says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, uh, we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, reveal your grace to us. As we look at these verses, as we uh, come to understand even more these very familiar texts. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see them with fresh joy and with new eyes and to be amazed and afresh by your mercy, by your grace, by your love for us, and by your calling on us to be a blessing in the world. And Father, we ask that you would enlighten our eyes but also that you would enliven our hearts with your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as you consider these verses, you want to always, whenever you, where, wherever you are in the Bible, you always want to look at the context of the verses that you're looking at. And in chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, you want to back up and look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. If you weren't here last week, and uh, listen to Josh explain those verses. You maybe want to go uh, download the podcast and listen to that. Because what you would understand in a deep way, if you listen, is this. That uh, this chapter is all about God's abundant, saving love for us. And that we were dead in our sins. That we were just as surely, by that what Paul means is that when he says you were dead in your sins, is that you were just as surely 
deserving of and headed toward punishment as a condemned man on death row walking down to the death chamber. That you were dead in your sins. That you deserved punishment. And even though you were walking around, you were headed surely and certainly for death. We were enemies of God. We were, by our sins, declared ourselves allies of Satan himself. We were not children of God, but we were children of wrath. But even though all those things were true, God poured out his mercy on us. And we are living examples, trophies, if you will, of God's grace. Every moment that we live and for all eternity to come, we are testimonies of the amazing grace and love of God for sinners. That's chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. And that brings us to verse 8, which draws a conclusion to those amazing verses. And what a conclusion! Our hearts should just sing when we understand that God's grace has come to us. Grace is this beautiful theological word. I love theology. That grace is this, this incredible, beautiful word. And do you know what it means? It means that we do not get what we deserve, but instead we are given what we cannot earn and do not deserve. That which we cannot earn and do not deserve, we are given freely as a free gift from God. And God's grace is better than almost anything else in our experience because it is totally and completely free. No strings attached. And let me, let me just contrast this idea with some other things in my recent experience. Uh, about two months ago, I re-upped re my membership for the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, which is a conservation organization that uh, seeks to spread elk back over their historic range across the entire uh, lower 48 that they once occupied. So now there are elk in Kentucky and elk in Arkansas and elk in Virginia and elk in uh, Pennsylvania and all these places where uh, the pioneers shot and ate the elk. And, um, and now there are not any, but now they're putting them back. And it cost me $35 to join the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. And for that, they send me a magazine once a quarter and they sent me a pocket knife, right? And they told me, thank you for rejoining the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Here is your free gift, right? Is that a free gift? Well, not really, right? Because the value of what they sent me was less than the value of what I sent them. Right? In the same way, my daughter Sarah told me that she got a free coffee mug from the university where she attends this last year. Okay? Now, let me, let me just say this. I love Taylor University. I graduated from there. So did Karen. I met my wife there. It is because of Taylor University that I uh, grew in my understanding of the Christian faith that I was able to obtain a wonderful Christian liberal arts education, and that I have children to this day, right? Um, so I've been tremendously blessed by this place, but I don't want to talk about how much it costs to send my daughter there. 
except to say this, it's more than $35, all right? And this coffee mug was not free in any sense, okay? This is the most expensive coffee mug in the history of the world, to get that out of your ear at the school, right? Um, so this is not a free gift, right? But God's grace to us is. And it is worth more than a pocket knife and a magazine. And much more than a coffee mug. And it is totally and completely free. We receive God's grace not in exchange for anything good that we have offered. But check this. In spite of all of the wickedness that we have done. The scriptures make it clear that we bring nothing to the table before God except need and sin. And that in exchange, God gives us a gift of infinite value eternal life with Him and forgiveness of all that we've done. Anybody like that trade? I personally am a big fan. And what's the gift? Did you see that? It's, it is having been saved. Now, you don't need to know much Greek grammar. But let me just tell you what this is, okay? This is what's called in Greek a perfect tense. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. And this verb about your salvation is in the perfect tense, which what that means is this. It is a completed action which has already happened. Has already happened. And while it's true, so what that means is this, that while it's true that in some sense you don't experience all of the blessings and beauty of your salvation until glory, you are not waiting for your salvation. You don't get it when you die. You have it now. You possess salvation today. You have already been saved by God. Your status has been permanently and irrevocably changed from being a child of wrath to being a child of God, and you can never and will never ever go back to being what you were. You aren't waiting to get eternal life. It is something you already have right now. And how did you get it? By grace alone. Through faith alone and as the gift of God alone. It is God alone who saved you. We did all of the sinning, and God did all of the saving. And if you haven't done this yet, you should underline this little phrase in your Bible. This is not your own doing. This is not your own doing. Salvation is purely a gift. There is nothing you can do to earn it. And I know we know that, but seriously, underline this idea in your brain, if not in your Bible, that you do not earn God's favor by your performance. If you have to earn God's favor by your performance, then we're all in a heap of trouble. Amen? 
but because I can't perform good enough. I'm a sinner. What I need is transformation. But even though we know this, many times we start believing that somehow we, we, we need to work a little harder to earn God's favor. We don't gain salvation that way. We don't keep our salvation that way. A lot of people think that you can only be sure if you're saved when you stand before God. In fact, a lot of people have this idea of salvation. Have you seen this or you heard this? Hopefully you haven't said this to anybody. Uh, but Because this is false. But a lot of people think that what happens is when you die, you stand before God and He puts all your good deeds on one side of a scale and your bad deeds on the other side. Have you heard this? Okay. And as long as your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you get in. Right? You know where that comes from? It's not your Bible. It's the Egyptian book of the dead. Okay. It's some pagan religious belief. And it's also at the heart of every non-Christian false religion and cult that there is out there. That if you do and you do and you do and you do, then you somehow gain enough merit before God that He lets you into heaven. But you can never know if you did enough. And by the way, wouldn't it be a bummer if you found out when you got to heaven that you were like one good deed short? Right? <laughs> but, uh, sorry. Uh, you'll be in hell for eternity. You know, thank you for playing. And that's not how salvation works at all. That is not how salvation works at all. The Bible says that God saves us solely by His grace, by means of our faith in Jesus Christ. And you as a sinner simply put your trust in Christ and receive salvation as a free gift. And you don't have to wait until you're dead to know if you're saved. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you have already been saved by His grace. And you possess salvation right now. Verse 9 tells us that the result of the fact that salvation is not by works is this, that no one can boast. If salvation were by works, then what it would mean is this, uh, that, that salvation would be a high and lofty goal that we strive for and a holy few obtain. And lots of people believe that. It would be like, in other words, like finishing a marathon. Now, I've never done one. The closest that I've ever come is in different years, I ran a half marathon. So I did it twice, right? So I don't know if that means I get to put the 26.2 sticker on my car or not, because they do add up to that, right? But I've never actually done it all at once. Um, but my understanding is, is that if you are young enough and healthy enough, that, and you train hard enough, that the, that the average person can, in fact, complete a marathon. Now, I am neither young enough nor healthy enough. I don't think my knee would hold up for 26 miles at this point. But um, if I were to ever train for and finish a marathon, my primary motivation, I have to tell you, would be to get one of those little stickers for the back of the car and to wear the T-shirt they give you at the race, right? Hey, I finished Boston, 
right? I mean, I think the primary purpose of doing a marathon is so that you can brag that you have done one, right? So that you can let all and sundry know that I am one of those exalted people. Amen? Don't laugh. I know you're thinking the same thing, okay? If you're thinking, if I finish a marathon, I'm going to, like, wear that T-shirt around and be buried in it, right? I finished, I finished Boston in under four hours. I'm amazing, right? Um, <laughs> and, and sometimes I think people think that that's what salvation is like, is that we can all be very proud of what we've obtained. But the Scripture says no. The scripture says no one can boast. But why is that? Because it didn't come to you by your merit, by your work, by your training, by your youth and vigor and skill. It came as a gift. It came purely as a gift. You cannot, will not, do not do enough good deeds to outweigh your sin. You can't train hard enough at righteousness to gain salvation before God because God is perfectly holy and he requires perfect holiness to enter into his presence. And that is something that you can only receive, not something you can earn. Because Jesus Christ died and he paid the penalty that you and your sin deserved. He took your place on the cross and gave you righteousness that enables you to enter into God's presence and to be part of his family. And so nobody, when we get to heaven, nobody's going to get there and say, hey, I'm here. By the way, God, you're welcome. Right? No, we're not going to say that. We're going to say then what we say now if we have any understanding at all of the gospel message, which is thank you. And be completely amazed that God has saved the likes of us. God's grace saves apart from anything we have done, apart from anything we could do, and despite all the sin that we have done. Now, look at verse 10. Because this verse is important. And a lot of people love verse 8 and 9, and then they don't know what to do with verse 10. Uh, and verse 10 makes it clear what the relationship is between our faith and our works. And the relationship is this, that while we are not saved by our works, we are saved for good works. Amen? The difference in the wording is really important. Really important. So let me say it again. We are not saved by our good works, but we are saved for good works. In other words, God, because he has lavished his amazing love and grace on us, intends that our transformed lives would bless other people. He has made us, the text says, his workmanship. Let me give you another Greek, another Greek thing. It's the word... Poema. Okay, and it's a beautiful word, and it means something like masterpiece. You know what a masterpiece is? 
in the old days, uh, if you wanted to learn a trade, what you did was you took your inexperienced sorry self and you went and apprenticed yourself to someone who was a master, someone who had skills, someone who was older, had experience and knowledge of how to do things. And you watched and you, uh, you sat under their guidance and direction and learned all the things that they knew. And then the way that you knew that you had received all of the benefit of that education is that you could then produce what the master had done. And when you were able finally through all of your learning and skills to, uh, to put them all on display in a piece of art or uh, a sword or a silver... Uh, teapot or whatever it is that your trade was involved in producing, you would produce this final work product that put all of your skills and knowledge on display. And it, would, and it showed that you had graduated from being an apprentice now to being a master yourself. And it was called your masterpiece, right? And what the Bible says here is that you are God's masterpiece. That he is putting on display in you and in me all of the skills and knowledge that he possesses in transforming sinners into saints. That you are an exhibit, if you will, of what God's grace does in people. You are born again for a purpose. And that purpose is to do good works in the world. And your purpose and mine is so that our transformed lives would reveal how God works to those around us, both those who have faith in Jesus already and those who don't yet. And so although good works do not save you, they are the result of being saved. In this, we're something like Abraham. Do you remember when God came to Abraham and made covenant with him, he made him three promises. He said, I'll give you this land. And he defined the borders of it. And he said, I'll give you this land and I'll give you many descendants. As many descendants as there are stars in the sky, you will have from your body. And then he also said, and I will bless you that you might be a blessing to all nations. You remember that? How did the blessing come? Well, in a lot of different ways, the blessing on Abraham became a blessing to all nations, but primarily and most significantly in the coming of Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, through whom all nations around the world are blessed as they receive salvation. Amen? Uh, but we are not, because, because we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are not simply saved for our own benefit. We are saved like Abraham. We are blessed that we might be a blessing to the world through Christ's transforming power. And the end of the verse makes it very clear that God prepared beforehand that we would walk in these good works. He, he planned for them to be the result of our salvation from the beginning. And, and let me just be very clear. Did you catch this? 
Do you notice what the motive is for good works? It's not obedience, merely. It's not responsibility. It's not duty. It's being overwhelmed by verse 8 and 9. By the grace and mercy and love of God for us. And I know I've spent a lot of time here today on some fairly basic verses that everybody knows. But it's absolutely critical that you understand the gospel. Because if you don't understand the gospel, you won't understand how to live the Christian life. That it is an unawareness and an understanding of God's love for you that serves as the motive and power for your transformation and your doing of good works in the world. You don't believe in Jesus and then, oh, by the way, add to that good works. It's, I believe in Jesus and I'm so amazed that God loved me this much and I can't help but be transformed by his love. And as I'm transformed by his love, I start to demonstrate it to other people. The gospel message of God's love for us in Christ, it empowers us and motivates our ongoing transformation into God's holy people, and it drives forward our good deeds. Because Jesus loved me when I was most unlovable and gave me new life as his child, as part of his family. And so how do I respond to a love like that? By doing the things that reveal the transformation that he has wrought in my life as a blessing to other people. Now, most of Ephesians chapter 4 through 6 is devoted to explaining verse 10. But I don't want to wait until we get there, because it's going to be a little bit before we get there. Uh, and I want to encourage each of us to ask ourselves this question. If God has graciously saved me for good works, then how does my life bless other people? I want to break that question down into two parts. Uh, first question is this. If God has graciously saved me. And I, Jesus said in the parable of the wheat and the tares that there would be people among, scattered among his people who do not know Jesus. Maybe they look like Christians for a minute, but they don't really know the Lord. And so I want to be very clear. If you are here today and you have not believed in Jesus Christ, today is the day. Let me, let me give you some diagnostics on this. If imagine that you died and you stood before God and he asked you, why should I let you into heaven? And before you give your answer, understand this. If you stand before God and he asks you that question and you say, well, because I... And you start listing all the good things you have done. And it's very likely you're giving the wrong answer and you will not be permitted entry into God's presence. If, on the other hand, you were to be asked that same question, and you were to say, because Jesus Christ died for my sins and was raised from the dead, and he gave me new life as a gift when I put my faith in him, 
you're going to hear, welcome home. And it's not just simply a matter of knowing the right answer like this is the password. Okay? It's, it's of actually putting your trust in Jesus Christ and receiving as a gift His transformation, the Holy Spirit of God taking up residence in your life and transforming you and giving you the new birth. But the necessary uh, inflection point on those things is not just knowing the, like as I say, the right answer, but of actually putting your trust in Christ and inviting Him into your life to transform you. And if you've never done that, today is the day. Now is the time. And you can do it right now as you're sitting here in the room. Bow your heart before God and say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that He died for my sins. I believe that He was raised from the dead to give me new life. And Father, please forgive me that I might know You as Your child. Do that right now. But if you have already experienced that salvation, and let me draw out some other things about being a blessing to other people, walking in the good works that God prepared in advance for you to do as a result of having received that gift. First of all, are you a blessing in how you talk to other people? Does your speech reflect a transformed heart? Or is it full of profanity? Or coarse joking? Or bitterness? Or anger? Or just generalized grumpiness and a bad attitude toward the world? That every time anybody talks to you, you act as if you can be prickly to the glory of God. By the way, word of encouragement, you can't. Right? God's people are not called to be a sourpuss. Right? Uh, it's just not the way that we're supposed to be. Right? Our speech should be full of grace, seasoned with salt, that it might benefit those who listen. Amen? How about this? Am I a blessing with my money? Am I generous or am I stingy? Am I greedy or am I content with what God has provided? Am I always looking for the next thing that I'm going to buy for myself or am I always looking for an opportunity to share some of God's blessings with other people? Am I a blessing with my work? Does your work make the world better? It's intended to. Does your work and uh, how you treat the people you work with bless them? Is your boss glad and blessed by the fact that you work there or are they anxiously counting the days until you quit or retire? How about your co-workers? Are they encouraged every time they talk with you? Or are you one of the people who stands around the water cooler and complains about the fact that you work there and who you work with and for? Are you a blessing to your customers? A blessing to your co-workers? 
Would they miss you when you're gone? Or are they be happy and rejoicing in that day? Are you a blessing with your word? Are you a blessing with your thoughts and attitudes? What do you think about? When you're all alone and nobody's around, what do your thoughts turn toward? What do you think about the world around you and the people in it? You see people who are lost as enemies or as lost sheep. As people who exist to serve my needs or as people who I exist to serve and to bless. What's your attitude? What do you think about? Are you a blessing to your spouse? Now, obviously some of us are single, but if you have a spouse, are you a blessing to them? Do they rejoice in the day that they married you? Or do they say, Jesus, I know that this was till death, so if you would bring it soon for one of us. <laughs> okay. What do you think about your spouse? Are you a blessing to them? Are you patient, loving, gentle, understanding, servant-hearted? Are you a self-controlled person? Are you the lover of their soul? Or are you impatient, selfish, demanding, controlling, longing to be served? How about with your kids and your family? Are you patient, gracious, loving, understanding? self-controlled? Are you an example of what it means to follow Jesus with your kids and with your family? Or because they're your family and they can't kick you out, are you short-tempered, impatient, unloving, ungracious, unforgiving, bitter? Are you a blessing to your church? Are people at church encouraged by you? Do you help make disciples? Do you encourage, serve, love, pray for, teach, rebuke, suffer with others at church? Or do you criticize, berate, discourage, demand your own way, make yourself a burden? What do you do? How about this? Are you a blessing to your neighbors and your community? Would your neighbors notice if you moved? Would your community miss you if you weren't part of it? Now, brothers and sisters, these are hard questions, okay? And I am not going to stand here and pretend I have got the Christian faith wired and we all need to catch up, okay? Because let me tell you what's true about me. That I am just as much, if not more, than a sinner like you, okay? Ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all need Jesus, all right? But if any of this hits home, any of these questions, you go, ouch, that hurts. Uh, that's the prompting of the Holy Spirit to repent. 
Amen? And we, let's remember this, are not saved by our good works. And God is not looking at us and scolding us right now. He is desiring for us to be transformed by the gospel into his holy people who do good works as a result. So, if it's time to repent, then let's repent of whatever the Holy Spirit brought to mind as we were talking together. But let's also not forget to rejoice. Don't forget to rejoice. Because God has saved you by His grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, not because of things that you did, but because He is that good of a God. And He loves you with an everlasting love. And He is carrying you and me all the way home to Him. So let's repent and let's rejoice over all these things. Amen? God, our Father, as Your Holy Spirit works in us, we... We continually find areas where our lives are out of plumb with your word. Your Holy Spirit is so faithful to convict and to uh, reprove and to rebuke us when we sin. Father, help us to not harden our hearts against his reproof. But to, out of love for you, be transformed. That we might be a blessing and a testimony of your grace, your transforming power at work in our lives to those around us, even when we're alone, Father. Help us to live in a transformed way. Not out of obligation, not out of duty, not out of responsibility and, oh, this is what I ought to do, but out of just abundant joy that you're the God who loves us and sent his son to die for us. Father, I pray if anyone here has never put their trust in Jesus Christ, that today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would come to know Jesus in a real and a fresh way, not as the answer to a trivia question, why should I let you into heaven, but as the Savior who laid down his life for them because he loved them. Father, I pray too that we would rejoice that an awareness of the glory of your salvation freely offered to us as a gift in Christ would just overflow in our hearts and fill us with joy and excitement and wonder the amazing grace of the Son of God who laid his life down for us and brought us into your family. And Father, we pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and by your Holy Spirit, amen. Want to join me?